Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Amen. Now, the reason why I've read you the scripture is because over the next few episodes, we're going to be talking about this spiritual armor and weaponry that all believers should have available to them in this crazy spiritual battlefield that is the world we live in. The aim of this series is to demystify and make the armor and weapons that God has provided for us simple to understand and, quite frankly, easier to use. I'm Jaden, and I'm going to be your guide as we equip ourselves for the coming victory. Welcome to God's Armory. everyone once again welcome back to reconnect this is the official english podcast for shinchenji which is the new heaven and new earth church of jesus and today we are beginning our first episode of our brand new series welcome to god's armory based on ephesians 6 where god has outlined the weapons and the armor necessary to fight and overcome the spiritual war that we are all currently entangled in. Now, to many of us, physical war or warfare might be something quite distant from us, nothing we've really seen face-to-face or had to experience. Of course, for others, and especially considering recent events in global affairs, war is a very real thing, and our hearts go out to those who are currently affected by war at this time. Now, in the Bible, it does mention a war that does affect all of us. No matter where we live or what we've experienced in our lives, then there is the kind of war that all of us are currently fighting, whether we know it or not. And that is the spiritual war. And that's why we don't necessarily know if we're experienced or not, right? Because the spiritual world isn't something that we see. It's not something that we can touch and experience like we do with the physical world. Hence why it's called the spiritual world. How terrifying is it that we're caught up in the middle of this war that we can't even see, hear, or touch? Thank goodness God has outlined this war in the Bible. Everything we need to know about this war 
particularly our part in it, it's all there in the Bible. And what we're going to be looking at is the armor and the weapons that God has provided for us in order to be able to fight and overcome. Now, for me personally, the closest to war I've ever come in terms of physical warfare is walking through the park and seeing people LARPing. Now, you might have gone, sorry, what did you just say, Jaden? LARPing? Is, is that a word? Are you speaking English? For those who may not be familiar, LARP stands for Live Action Roleplay. Have you ever seen the people dressed up in some kind of medieval outfit with swords, shields, bashing each other in the park? <laughs> it looks fun, but to outsiders, to be honest, it seems a bit weird, doesn't it? People all dressed up, funny, weird, hacking each other with plastic swords. It's not exactly the most common hobby in the world. But this is exactly the kind of activity many of us engage in, spiritually speaking, of course. If you're wondering what I could possibly mean by that, consider this. God has explicitly given us that list of armor and weaponry in Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 18. He has told us about the spiritual war that is happening between him and the evil spirit who tried to steal his own creation. Without knowing how to properly use the weapons and armor that God has given us, or by simply claiming that we're able to wear and use them, we are very similar to those people in the park. We just feel like we are wearing armor and waving weapons, but they are little more than spiritual props. It would be foolish to go into a real battle with prop weapons and armor, but that's exactly the kind of risk we run if we don't understand how to use the armor of God. I would be completely useless using a sword in a real battle, although I know what a sword is, I know what it does, but I have no idea how to use it. In the same way, if I only know of God's weapons and armor, but have received no proper training on how to use them effectively, then I'm going to be a useless soldier, perhaps a sitting duck. That's why we're systematically going to go through the armor and the weapons that God has laid out for us in Ephesians 6, starting with the belt of truth. Before we go there, let's talk about the purpose of a belt. Why has God first started with a belt? <laughs> Is it typically the first item of clothing you think of when you're gearing up for war? It's something to think about, isn't it? God refers to it as the belt of truth, not the backpack of truth, not the shin guards of truth, not the cloak of truth. Why does he connect it to the idea of a belt? What is the belt's primary function? To hold up your pants. <laughs> Simple as that, right? Stop your pants from hitting the floor. That's why we wear a belt. Perhaps some of you are thinking, well, I wear a belt for fashion. But I don't think God gave us the belt of truth only as a fashion statement, right? Let's look further into this idea of covering up our nakedness. Let's go way back to the beginning of the Bible, the infamous characters of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve's nakedness was revealed because they didn't obey God's word, which was the truth. Rather, they chose to follow the word of the serpent, which was the word of falsehood. God's word is the truth. This is what it says in John 17, verse 17. 
Whereas Satan's word is falsehood, lies. This is what Jesus explains in John 8 verse 44. God told Adam that if he or Eve ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die. Since that was God's word, it's the truth. On the other hand, the serpent deceived Eve, who in turn tempted Adam, and they both chose to believe the words of the serpent instead of God. They chose to believe the lies rather than to follow the truth. Satan's word versus God's word. And this is why Jesus, when he was talking to the Pharisees and scribes in John chapter 8, said that the devil was a liar and murderer from the beginning. In the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, it was there that Satan lied to Adam and Eve and murdered them with his lies. But it's not that Adam and Eve just died immediately there and then, right? What happened was that their nakedness was revealed. In Genesis 3, they hid from God because they were ashamed of their own nakedness. Let's go on a tangent for a moment, because <laughs> this makes me think about perhaps one of the most embarrassing experiences of my life. And I don't know about you guys, but perhaps some of my most embarrassing experiences of my life always tend to happen at school. I think back to school and I cringe. But anyway, I was in middle school, intermediate school, only about 11 or 12. And the boys at my school, they had developed this strange pants fixation. We'd either make a thing of pulling up a guy's pants as far as we can and give them a wedgie, or just yank them down to pants him. <laughs> pants him and then run away. So the thing is, I got pantsed as well. In the middle of the playground at school, I was the one that got pantsed. So yeah, that memory is ingrained in my brain well into my adulthood. I will make sure I wear a good belt because it has now become important to me. If I had been wearing a better belt, or perhaps had I simply been wearing a belt at the time, my nakedness wouldn't have been exposed. We could say the same about Adam and Eve. See, when God tells us about the belt of truth, obviously he's not talking about a physical belt. He uses the image of the belt, somehow related to the truth, to communicate a deeper truth to us. This is not fashion advice, and it's certainly not just an inspiring image to help us imagine ourselves as noble and courageous spiritual warriors. This stuff is in the Bible because it's really important for us. Just as how it was important for Adam and Eve. If they had God's truth, i.e. God's belt of truth, and held on to the words of do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, if they had those words of truth, that belt, fastened around their waist, then when the serpent came along and tried to deceive them and pants them, they would have not been caught with their pants down. That belt would have held them firmly in place. If we look at the account of how Satan actually deceived Eve in the first place, we see that it was very subtle. Satan cleverly twisted God's word and exploited Eve's misunderstanding and her desire. When Adam and Eve were in the garden initially, before the fall of man, they were naked, but they felt no shame. Nudity is not the issue here. Although we're making jokes about the embarrassing physical experience of being pantsed, 
let's remember that the spiritual equivalent is actually far worse. Adam and Eve's shame and nakedness are a result of their sin, something that Romans 5 explains that it affected the entire human race through that event. When Adam and Eve chose to believe the words of the serpent over the words of God, they abandoned the truth, that is, God's word. This is basically the spiritual equivalent of simply taking off your belt and letting your pants hit the ground. The nakedness they were ashamed of and tried to escape by hiding was their disobedience to God's word. While they held to God's word, while the belt was on, there was no shame because there was no sin. Nothing separated them from their creator. But once they turned against God's word, they were no longer in that spiritual image and likeness of God. They had changed to spiritually resemble something shameful. In order to reverse this, God had to step in. So this is where being born again comes into it, right? We need to become a new creation to undo the damage caused by Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden. John 1 verse 1 to 5 says that God is the Word. And so if Adam and Eve were made in the image of God, then they were made in the image and likeness of God's Word. And when they chose to act according to the words of the serpent, they were corrupted. Since there is no evil or sin in God, even if sin was found in Adam and Eve, they could no longer be considered to be in God's image and likeness. That's why, as believers, we have to be transformed through the renewing of our minds, as it says in Romans 12 verse 1 to 2, so that we can no longer conform to the pattern of this world, that is, the world that has been completely corrupted by Satan. This is the same thing as being born again, as Jesus mentions in John 3. Being born again through the Spirit of God, which is His Word, the truth. Paul writes about this in the book of Romans 2. In Romans 5 verse 13, it says, For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Just as the serpent in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was in the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve broke their covenant with God, sin was also in the world before God explicitly gave Adam the command to not eat from that tree. But once God told Adam not to eat from it, when Adam did in fact eat from it, he had to deal with the consequences of being disobedient to God. Hosea 6 describes this action as a breaking of the covenant made with God. This could have all been avoided had he just kept his belt on. Had he kept the truth buckled around his waist, holding his pants in place. If you look at Genesis 3 closely, you can see how the serpent exploited the fact that Eve didn't really clearly know God's word. She sort of knew what God had said, but it wasn't clear for her. So when the serpent deceived her, you can see how she trips up. If Adam and Eve had held to God's truth, they would have not been pantsed by the serpent. So then there were these people who walked and talked with God in the garden. How much easier might it be for people like us to fall prey to similar deception today? It might be easy to read the Bible as just a collection of stories, but it's more useful to ask yourself why, why things happened the way they did. 
Why did Eve get deceived like that? And what would it take for me to be deceived? If I really were in that same situation, what would the serpent have said to me to get me to disobey something I had been told by God? The Bible is really much more useful to reflect on ourselves than it is to simply know the stories and talk about them. How could I have been like Eve? Of course, we can only really do that when we know what is in the Bible, right? So we have to get that belt of truth fastened around our waists. Now, Adam and Eve, they're not the only ones in the Bible to get pantsed and have their nakedness revealed in this way. The same happened to Noah and also the people in Revelation 3. Let's go there. Let's go to Revelation 3 verse 17. It reads, You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Carrying on to verse 18, it says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. Jesus is clearly not talking physically here, right? Who would not be able to realize that they're naked or blind? This is clearly another example of figurative language which God uses when giving his promises to us through his prophets. So we can see here in Revelation there are also those who have been left naked without realizing. In fact, Jesus describes it as shameful nakedness. Why is it shameful? Because nakedness is when the belt of truth has left you, you no longer follow the word of God, but rather listen to the words of the deceiver, the serpent of Satan. There is a lot more to say about this and these people in Revelation 3, in the case of Noah. But it's a bit too much to explain all in one single episode, right? So perhaps we'll get to it later, but if you would like to know more about these things, please contact us. We'll happily connect you to a one-on-one Bible study or group study, which will explain all of these things in detail in time. And the best part, it's completely free. I know previously on the Reconnect podcast, we've spoken about the war that God has been fighting and that we are all a part of it. We know that this is happening inside God's church, just like how the serpent was inside what belonged to God, the Garden of Eden. So we need to be hyper alert so that we can be sure that we're not being pantsed or ending up like the poor folks in Revelation 3 who think they are fully clothed but are actually naked. In order to wear the belt of truth, we first must know what the truth is. What is the truth? John 17 verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. It says that God's word is the truth. Ultimately, God's word is the law, and that is the truth. We need to keep God's word on our hearts and minds, just like both the prophet Jeremiah and Hebrews 8 verse 10 reminds us. I also think it's important that we remember it's not just about collecting the knowledge. I mean, a library is full of knowledge. But we're not just here to be a library we should be acting according to the truth as well. Just as James writes in James chapter 1. So if we know the truth and do it, then we will not be so easily pantsed. 
The trouble often happens when we know the truth, speak the truth, or then do something else. Or if we think we know the truth, we think we speak the truth, but actually, we've been deceived. So let's quickly sum up everything that we've spoken about today. This belt of truth mentioned in Ephesians 6. The belt of truth is God's word of truth, according to John 17, verse 17. Belts hold our pants up and they prevent us from being ashamed in front of all our friends. Because if not, then we're found to be naked. So as I said many times, it prevents us from being spiritually pantsed. In order to fasten the belt of truth around our waists, we need to know God's word. Then we need to do what it says. So it's just like a mirror that we can look into and see whether we conform to the image of God, who is the word, and where we are maybe still conforming to the image of the world. It's through the spirit that we are born again, just like what Jesus said in John 3 verse 6 and John 6 verse 63. If we have the belt of truth on, then we're not wading in man's teachings about God's words. We're not swimming in man's opinions, or our own opinions, or the way that a specific denomination interprets God's word. But knowing God's word, the truth for ourselves, and then holding fast to it, that is wearing the belt of truth. And so I just want to remind you, all of you who have taken the time out to listen to this podcast, If you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I'd like to know more about this, or perhaps you'd like to chat to someone about getting your own spiritual belt and making it securely fastened, then please send us an email, leave us a comment. We'd love to get you connected to a Bible study that will make all the difference to your own spiritual walk and to be able to be properly prepared for the spiritual war that you are currently in. This is all for the first episode of Welcome to God's Armory. I look forward to being with you next time.